I, many teachers talk about it uh, in their individual ways. And it's, um, in a sense, every teacher is right. But the question is, can the student understand what the teacher is saying? But once you do understand what the teacher is saying, you can begin to hear other teachers and recognize, oh, they're saying the same thing. Okay. And so um, basically the way that we uh, look at it is from the perspective of Paticca Samupada. And therefore it sounds kind of dry and dusty and uh, uh, kind of matter of fact, but it actually is a good way of looking at it. And that, as you know, we've talked about before that Paticca Samupada is taught in one direction from the beginning to the end, but is to be practiced in the reverse order, depending upon how quick we are. Okay. But there's also another point that a lot of students think that they make, they're making progress in the sense that their climb is always straight uphill. But in fact, a journey, often even through the mountains, you're up and down and up and down, even on a road that's climbing a mountain, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs and ups and downs in it. That's the same thing with the mind. Throughout the day, the mind's going to be up and down so that it's a good idea for a student to have a broad range of techniques for practice depending upon what state of mind he's in. There will be times when the mind is sharp, very sharp, very focused. And when that happens, that's when the mind can, in fact, release itself from its duties of mind and get into the sensual awareness of the um, surrounding world that we live in and become one with it so that we have lost our uh, sense of self. But when the mind is not so sharp, when it's in more of an ordinary mind, especially when the mind has hindrances, then what that means is that when we experience the outside world, we always add Sankara to it in the process of perceiving it so that when we're trying to make sense out of it, we always bring the past in. So we hear the word recognition in the sense that the recognizing means that we're doing it over again or that we're using the past to, um, let us say, color the present moment. And that that coloration or that uh, ability to recognize things is what causes uh, the feelings, or that's what in fact impacts us, this internal representation. So what we do in the beginning of our practice, when we're students, is we try to get to the point of recognizing um, this concoction that we have made. In other words, is this wholesome or unwholesome? And we begin to monitor those kind of concoctions that we're making. Is this wholesome or is this unwholesome? 
if it is unwholesome, let's not go down that path because it's going to go down the path of dukkha. But if we have a wholesome thought, now we can uh, avoid dukkha. So this is the beginning spot. This is what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa uh, says when the mind is fit for work, then we can have wisdom at this point of contact after we've made this uh, discovery, this recognition, we have mentalized it, we can call it, uh, uh, I realize something, but in fact, we don't realize it, we just merely mentalize it. This is also on the road of the birth of the self. But when we can get down to the point where we're no longer doing a lot of processing, or no longer trying to figure things out uh, and not taking the time to do that, that means that we're not spending time on the road to dukkha, which means on the road to selfishness. And so we begin to spend more and more time in uh, this present moment, totally this present moment, with all of its input, because there's so much happening. Input comes ears, input coming from the, the touch, input coming from the body postures, from whether we're relaxed or not, how do we feel inside, all of this stuff is there, as well as what we can see with our eyes and what we hear, and the entire environment that we are in, then is also, because of our correct practice, seen as wholesome, are therefore it's nourishing or it's our home rather than seeing and, and thinking of living in a hostile environment and a hostile environment is what we will have is when the self tries to protect itself from a hostile environment but when our environment is completely nurturing completely open completely beautiful and that we're then experiencing that environment without trying to make anything out of it by thinking about it, for instance, or thinking about anything else, then that's when there is no, no place for self because all we're doing is living in sensory input, not processing. So this is then the separation between consciousness and perception. This is also the quality that's known in the fourth jhana as the boundaries between perception and consciousness become loosened. Okay, so no, normally what happens is, is that we see, we process, we realize, that's what's impacted us is what we realize and then that's what we have feelings about. That's the normal sequence. Down at this place, we're only seeing, for instance, or only experiencing without trying to make sense out of it. That means that we spend more time and more input. Normally what we do is we look at something, we see it, we grasp it as an object, we try to make sense out of it, we give it a name, we give it a story, uh, and we talk about it and on and on and on. 
In this case, what we're doing is we're taking the object and then taking it again and then taking it again and then taking the object, except that now we're not taking one object. We're not uh, set on any object. We take an object, we take an object, we take an object, we keep taking objects, but we don't process any of it. It's like not taking any object at all allows us to be able to absorb huge amounts of data. This is then that state that is talked about in the sense of being uh, at one with everything. Talk about the interconnectedness or the oneness of all. Yes, this is how it's experienced, but it's always experienced in the here now through the senses. And it's done when we can only just experience it as it's coming, because it's there all the time. It's always there. The question is, are we paying attention to it? Or are we paying attention to what's happening on the inside of the mind? Okay, so once we are able to come out of the mind, to have the mind completely open, then there is no sense of self as the one who's observing or looking, or the one who's making sense out of this, or the one who has feelings about it, the one who likes it and doesn't like it. All of that is not there, because all we're doing is receiving input. Yeah, some some, some people uh, would explain like that, uh, if you can shut down this process of conceptualizing things, and uh, you you kind of open the gate uh, for the law sensation. The law sensation would flood in, then you will not have this uh, sense of self. Mm -hmm. And that can happen to anyone. It can happen to the beginner. It can happen to the intermediate. It can happen to a guy who's been practicing for years, even if he's been practicing wrongly. It still happens. There's a sense of awe. In fact, people like to go to... Um, Places like the Grand Canyon or a, a, a big construction project or to see the mountains or whatever, because what we're looking at is so big and so huge and so grand that it blows our mind literally, which means we stop conceptualizing it and go into a state of awe. Sometimes that can happen with a sunset, that it's so beautiful, so magnificent that the mind just stops to absorb it. It's kind of funny that when that moment happens, people will then start thinking about, oh, I want my photo, and they get their camera out, and they're missing their experience, but I, and all they got is a stupid photo. Oh, here's a photo of a place that I almost had an experience, but I didn't have a real experience, a nice experience. I went there to get this beautiful experience, but I didn't have it because I was too busy taking a picture of it. LAUGHTER <laughs> Yes, we, anyone can have that sense of awe, and that it depends upon the circumstances within Anapanasati. This is a practice that we're actually working with into intentionally by the understanding of Patita Samupada and the process of working backwards through it. We can see that, oh yes, there is this place that we can visit occasionally to where we really are at one with everything. When, there's sense, when there is no sense of self at all, because there's no processing done, it's only sensory input, 
massive amounts of it because there's so much happening all the time. And yet there's nothing to do. The grass grows by itself, as that haiku poem says. All right, the spring comes and the grass grows all by itself and there's no place to go and nothing to do except just sit here and observe. Just sit and watch. It's marvelous. And it gives a sense of security and a sense of at-homeness that the environment is finally uh, no longer the jungle that we have been taught that it is. That, in fact, things are quite nice. Everything is marvelous. Everything is okay. That is nourishing, in fact. That uh, some people would say that not only is the environment suited to us completely, but the better way of thinking is, is that we are actually a product of the manufactured for this environment that we should fit right in. We were made to fit into this environment. And yet we feel out of place many times. And that feeling of being out of place is just feelings of fear, feelings of anxiety and whatnot. And those can be set aside so that we can come back to this state of experiencing the vast this is itness ta 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 this is it wow what a nice it it is too <laughs> whether you describe the sound like the movie of the magic go back to the source <laughs> right it's our thinking that gets in the way of, of our uh, enjoying paradise when we're in the critical mind, we're judging, saying this is good and this is bad. We throw ourselves out of the paradise that is actually right here. When we come out of that uh, critical mindset, the chattering mind, into the nurturing mind, then everything is good. This is why step 10 of Anapanasati is so important to gladden the mind and keep bringing the mind back, brightening the mind, opening the mind. Keep talking about everything is okay, everything is fine. Love it, everything is so good now. My, isn't this great? This is the way to start looking at it, is, is that it just, you're in a state of awe as to how nice things are. And to think it was like that 50 years ago and I couldn't see it. My attitude. It was an attitude that the world is not there to help me out. It's not there to help me. It's not there to do me good. That I got to claw my way through this jungle. And in fact, the world was quite nice to me then and it's quite good to me now. But the difficult part is that uh, how can you put it into practice? I mean, we have the like uh, the theory of like uh, the twelve link or dependent dependent origination. For me, uh, so now it's come back to the 
the beginning when I was coaching that uh, it seemed that uh, at least for me I cannot uh, turn off this sense of self at will you know to stop this process of conceptualization okay um it is common for that to be an ingrained habit to keep doing it and keep doing it your job is to remember when you catch yourself doing it to stop feeling bad that's the first thing is to to congratulate yourself hey i caught myself conceptualizing that's the first thing is is that because you're you're approaching it as if uh, that conceptualization is wrong no that's what got you here that's what's kept you alive there's no problem with it but what we're going to start doing is start conceptualizing things correctly we're not going to stop the conceptualization but we are going to start putting boundaries or limits to it so that the conceptualizations are conceptualizations that are healthy and a healthy conceptualization is wow i caught myself conceptualizing again and an unhealthy conceptualization was darn as these things these conceptualizations keep interfering and i don't like it okay that's not a very good wholesome conceptualization but a wholesome conceptualization is, ah, there it goes again, I see it. And I can throw that conceptualization out and, and put a new one in. And the new conceptualization I'm putting in is everything is okay, everything is happy, I can handle this. That's the place that we have to start putting in wholesome thoughts, wholesome uh, conceptualization. It's only after we get the mind wholesome can we begin to open up to where then everything becomes wholesome. But so long as we're dwelling on wholesome and unwholesome and wholesome and unwholesome and wholesome and unwholesome, then we'll just remain in that duality, that up and down. Throughout the day, sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Or as they say in the commercial, sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. And sometimes we're kind of in between. So know when we feel in between. Know that when the mind is rooted in conceptualizations, that the thing to do now is to change those conceptualizations into something that's wholesome. If at a later time in the day when the mind is wholesome, now we can let go of the conceptualizations and just enjoy the moment. Just be here in the present with your senses without having to do much of any conceptualizations. So it depends upon how you feel and, how, and the condition of the mind. And one of the things that we want to uh, investigate is what condition of the mind. Is the body relaxed or not? Is the feelings good feelings of security and comfort or not? Is the mind sharp, bright, open, or is it closed? Is it full of hindrances? So what is the, what's the condition of the mind? And also to investigate what about those thoughts? Are they wholesome or not? 
But every thought that you have, every conceptualization has a quality to it. It arises during that mind moment, and then it fades away, and it dies. And if we grab a hold of it, we'll pull it right back in to go through that cycle again. And then we'll grab it again. But if we relinquish it and let it go, it arises, it passes away, and then it's done. If we just let it go. So, the practice of Anapanasati is deeply embedded with the practice of Paticca Samuppada. And that uh, Anapanasati practice then will give you the skills so that you can proceed backwards in momentary time till you get down to the point to where you're not processing much. You're just here making sure that uh, the wholesome thoughts you're having is, let's just get more input. Let's just get more input. Let's not take anything as an object. Let's just keep gazing, keep opening, keep being out there. But then sometimes you say, wait a minute, my mind is mucky mind, it's chattering, full of concepts. Okay, well now we have to make sure that all we can get done is to get those concepts wholesome. So that gives you a balance, one or the other one. Because people are normally going to be in one of those two big places. So those are also two different points uh, on, the, on the scale of Paticca Samapada. One is nestled there between step three and four, and the other one is nestled up there at step seven and eight, or six and seven, rather. Okay. So keep keep watching the mind, guarding the mind, noting what the mind is doing, and if it put if it's uh, having unwholesome thought, change it to a wholesome thought. And if the mind is really really open and free and clear, then just keep having more input rather than doing any processing, which means the conceptualizations will melt away. And you'll just be in a state of awe. Yeah, it seems that the, the, the society is, uh, I mean, into enforcing this uh, conservation. I, I know a story that uh, there are uh, people, you know, who, who just live far away from society, like he live in a jungle, then him, he, it made him difficult to communicate with people with language, but somehow he get immersed with the, the nature. Yes, they talk about it in terms of communing with nature. If you're in tune with nature and communing with nature, we don't need a complex um, uh, conceptualized language. So is this the reason that, uh, oh, that's the year before last year, that you suggest me to uh, the place near International Dharma Hermitage, there's another place, at first you suggest me to go there, I forgot the name. Uh, do you, you know the place that near International uh, Dharma Heritage? It's for actually my favorite place uh, around here is uh, Deepa Bhawan, 
over on Kosamui because that's where uh, uh, my good friend uh, Damavitu teaches, and it's also where Achan Po stays. I don't know that you went over there. I think that you were at Dam Kiem and International Dhamma Hermitage, but you didn't go uh, to Deepavul one. Oh uh, yeah, I have been to Deepavul one. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Dam Kiem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dam Kiem. Uh huh. Yeah, because um, How long the were year you before there? last year. Ah, uh, you know, I I didn't have the opportunity to stay there because when I was there, there no one speaking English there, so. Uh, some people uh, didn't allow me to stay here for the sake of my safety. Oh, I see. Um, okay. I'll. Uh, uh, I have a contact over there, uh, Tun. I'll. Uh, I'll contact him if if you have the idea that you want to go back over there. Uh, right now, uh, I I didn't have a ex experience when uh, I feel that I need to go. I will let you know. Okay. Yeah, because now know, is not now, the time. Uh, now is yeah. not the time. And also now you, I'm taking a job, so you know you can't. Uh, you have to finish the the job. Okay, so you can see how uh, the self is actually created by the mind because most of our memories have selfishness built into them. So that by the time that we're having a feeling, especially when that feeling becomes clinging, that's really going to create uh, a hell world for the self to be in. This is what the Buddha means by being reborn, is, is that we're reborn due to our clinging, and we get ourselves in a woeful state. We're reborn in a hell like being angry or full of anxiety or tension or whatever. But also now we're looking at it in a way that being caught in a web of conceptualizations is also a kind of a hell. And it's the hell that almost everybody is caught in most of the time. Even though they may not be gushing with anger, they still are caught in a web of conceptualizations. And so this next step that we were talking about is to come out of that web of conceptualizations requires us to be able to uh, get the mind to the point that we can control what's in it, that we can apply the mind to the things we want to apply it to, which is the wholesome. Once we have that, then we can uh, kind of let go of the conceptualizations. But until we can control those conceptualizations, it's going to be really hard to remove them completely. So, the job is to, whenever we find our conceptualizations unwholesome, let's get them wholesome. Yeah. So going back to the uh, the question beginning, uh, Sam Harris uh, seemed to recommend some kind of non-dual practice like Dr. Chen. He seemed like uh, 
it's a more direct way of pointing out that uh, this sense of self is constructed, so it's kind of illusion. Well, this is actually what we're talking about, though they're using different language. When I'm using the language of Paticca Samuppada, they're using, a, 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 let us say, a new agey kind of language that they're uh, trying to describe the same thing with. Yes, because what I understand about uh, uh, Dhammadasa's practice, it seems that, uh, for, for example, uh, you, you need to like uh, uh, sharpen your mind, like like have quite, quite a lot of concentration. Then you, you are able to penetrate through this process of conceptualization. Otherwise, I mean, your mind is not sharp enough to catch this whole process. So it's it's difficult to uh, to verify that in daily life. So you have you need to go to a retreat, like to you know to increase your concentration. Otherwise, you it's very difficult to to catch this pro process. It actually then the skill that needs to be developed, the skill of sati, means that as we're developing the skill, we can catch things that we used to not catch, that we can wake up and see things that we before didn't see. Which means that you're going to be, be able to see a lot of stuff that you didn't see. A lot of it is going to be unwholesome where before we weren't paying any attention to how unwholesome it is, now we're beginning to see how unwholesome these thoughts are. And so many students will then continue that unwholesome by disparaging themselves for having these unwholesome thoughts and concepts. That is actually a duality. That's a destructive thing to do, of tearing things apart. So the unification then would also be nurturing. That a way of thinking of it is, is that criticism or critical means it's good or it's bad, it's yes, it's no, it's right, it's wrong, and we uh, hold a critical position um, throughout the day. Our concepts are based upon critical thinking. We're taught that critical thinking is good. And we need to substitute that for nurturing thinking. The kind of thoughts that are wholesome, nurturing, non-critical, that everything is okay. Rather than I like this and I don't like that mentality. Okay, so this is a unification, is nurturing, and duality is criticism. I like it this, I don't like that. This is good, that's bad. As opposed to nurturing is everything's okay. And that's a, a unification. So going in that direction of unity, when everything then is okay, now we can trust it all and we don't have to analyze anything anymore. We can just allow it to be. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's fine. because it's already in unity. 
The one who was making the duality was the individual. But when we stop doing that, then everything goes back to the way it always was in unification. Everything is, uh, the universe is just, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I, when I first uh, did a retreat in Burma, I think, uh, like, I noticed a lot of things that uh, I, I'm not unaware of. But for later retreat, it seems that uh, uh, I didn't find something new. For example, uh, when I was doing the first retreat, uh, I didn't know that my mind was like kind of thinking so much, like uh, it's like kind of obsessive thinking. You can you you just feel like uh, the thinking is kind of is go its own way. You you. You can't stop it, but later you, you just observe this process. Let uh, the thinking come and go. Well, when you talk about Burma, I think that you're actually uh, uh, kind of talking about the Mahasi method. Yeah. With the noting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, the the issue then is when you follow that method of just the noting that uh, you're not making a real investigation, but whether you're just noting that it's there. Um, how to say it? Uh, a real investigation is putting things together in the sense of is this wholesome or not? And the noting is just merely noting um, thought about my grandmother, thought about my sister, thought about going home, thought about this, thought about that. And that kind of noting is not doing what needs to be done in the sense of evaluating the, is this a hindrance to me being in a marvelous state or not. And so because of that, um, joy does not get um, uh, developed as a skill. There is not a lot of sukha. There is not a lot of pity because they're not concentrating on that and the mind still has to deal with hindrances. So when they go deep into meditation, basically what that means is that they're going deep into noting and still staying in, in the hindrances or staying in the dukkha. To where the Buddha says uh, the whole teaching is dukkha, dukkha naroda, which means to see the dukkha and to get out of it right now. The Mahasi method is talking about, oh, you've got to do dukkha and see dukkha and know dukkha. And this is give, giving them the idea of what uh, is sometimes referred to as the dark night of the soul, where a student will go into despair. Well, if they keep seeing all of that dukkha, of course they're going to go into a dark night of the soul of despair. The Anapanasati method says, don't do that. To recognize that when the mind is going in off into that direction, into those kind of concepts, to come out of it, gladden the mind, 
bring the mind back to this present moment, perk it up, stand it up, and get a good attitude that you can handle these things. I don't have to let the mind go down into that hell. I don't have to create that and note it all those step, every step of the way, descent into hell. The question is, is how deep does a student have to go in that method before they realize, hey, this is as deep as I want to go. That in fact, that's what it looks like it happens is, is that uh, they, it seems like that they have to uh, hit what they, what is called rock bottom. You have to go all the way down and hit rock bottom before you start to, to climb out and go up. And my position is, why not start with where you are and go up starting from there? There's no reason to go down into uh, this noting system and seeing dukkha and more dukkha and more dukkha. But rather, we can, in fact, uh, gladden the mind, change the thoughts, move it out of unwholesome into wholesome thoughts, and let's start upwards now. And the outcome then is going to be the same, and the same then is going to be the I can do this attitude. Now, what do I mean by that? That's the, the in the Eightfold Noble Path, Sama Sankapa, right attitude, right noble attitude, will happen if you go, if one goes through the dark night of the soul, you'll come out of that dark night of the soul with the attitude, man, if I can handle that, I can handle anything. I can handle anything if I can handle what I put myself through that time. Okay. But the other way of, uh, with the the Anapanasati method, with gladdening the mind and bringing the mind up, is when we intentionally develop the attitude, I can do this. I can do this. I do not have to put myself through hell for me to know I can handle hell. I know I can handle hell because every time that I do handle hell, I create that hell, and my best way to handle hell is by not making any of it. <laughs> So that's a way of looking at the Mahasi method, it, that it has a danger built into it because they allow the student to continue to note without putting the emphasis on you must come out of those hindrances. You must gladden the mind. You must bring concepts that are bright and shiny and delicious and nurturing and uh, full of nutriment. And stop with the criticism. Do you think uh, I haven't put enough time to practice? What I really do is that uh, you know, what ten day retreat at a deeper one, then another ten day at uh, uh, international Dharma heritage, Swamoka, yeah, Swamoka. So. Uh -huh. Do you think it's very short? I mean, I haven't uh, given this method enough time, or I haven't given myself enough time to try this method, so I haven't uh, been able to verify this method. About 10 minutes. About 10 minutes. Three or four times a day, 10 minutes. Just practice 10 minutes to gladden the mind. Take 10 minutes to get yourself into a state of um, relaxation, a state of 
um, joy, the, the, the feeling that I can, I can do this, that no matter how obstructed the mind gets, I can get a feeling of uh, contentment, okay? This is what needs to be practiced. You don't need to go spend 10 days at this retreat center or that retreat center in order to build this practice that short periods of time, very often throughout the day, is the best way to get started. Keep practicing with the idea that I can throw those hindering thoughts out of the mind, and it doesn't take long when you remember. So that's the skill to be developed, is to remember that you have control the kind of thoughts you have. Are they going to be wholesome thoughts or unwholesome thoughts? Yeah, I, I think uh, in one of the talks, you, you talked to Willie about that uh, it's okay to manipulate uh, your emotion and uh, also other people's emotion for the sake, uh, for their, for your own benefit and other, other people's benefit. Are you talking about uh, like uh, control? So is what you are talking about, like manipulating this kind of emotion? Well, when you use the word manipulation, at least in the culture that I was raised in, the word manipulation has a very definite negative <laughs> connotation. Uh, but you can see that Developing, for instance, the skill of joy and becoming joyful is, in fact, a manipulation of the feelings. You can, in fact, joyously handle things. You can change the way that you feel if you remember to. When you recognize the danger in feeling bad, that recognition of the danger uh, brings about the desire for the escape. And I can see where people would want to use the word manipulation for that. But like I said, the word manipulation has some definite negative connotation to where we're doing something enormously wholesome and enormously beneficial. Yeah, well, I... Uh, I guess you could say that I go to the prison and I manipulate the guard by asking him for the key, and then I open the door, and I manipulate the prisoner by letting him free. That's manipulation. I'm going to really manipulate that guy. I'm going to open his cell door and let him out. Yeah, uh, well, I recall my experience, how I, you know, getting out of, uh, uh, you can see, Unplanned feeling, you know. Sometimes you you could uh, just step out without getting lost in the feeling, in the bad feeling. Then you can see, okay, it just happened. Then no need to feel bad about that. Then you can then this uh, negativity will like uh, go down. Then things will become quiet. Well, if you dwell on the past then you can feel bad. But if you're uh, thinking about and dwelling on this present moment, then we're not thinking about the wrongdoing that I did in the past. We can forget about it. 
we can come to this present moment. There's no reason for us to feel bad now because we're thinking about something bad happened in the past. Yeah, uh, I can uh, kind of mm, get uh, how to say that. I mean, I can step out of this situation. But uh, although I don't know how it happened exactly, sometimes you feel that okay, oh, uh, now I'm I'm get, going to worry about things. When I've noticed this, then this worry will quickly be gone. I'm not sure if this is what you, you if this is what you mean by like uh, like. Uh, you know, like uh, getting the mind to into more wholesome state. What what do I mean? Yeah, actually, I, I think I, this is what I mean. I mean for you to learn to distinguish for yourself what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. For you to make that investigation so that you yourself will know. Now, I can give you some examples, but it will be up to you to figure out what is an obstruction and what is not an obstruction. That, in fact, you can think of uh, the five hindrances, then, would be things that are unwholesome. An example then uh, from the five hindrances and also from the second noble truth, the cause of suffering, is wanting things. Wanting things that you don't have. An example of that is the student who is sitting in the meditation hall thinking about and wanting to become enlightened. Well, that's dukkha. He would be much better off if he was having thoughts about how nice this is now that I'm finally allowing myself for this moment to be enlightened. But wanting something we don't have, so that would be unwholesome. Wanting to get rid of something. An ache or a pain in the meditation hall or um, wanting to, to finish an argument or tell off a friend or uh, write a nasty email or something like that, we can just say, I don't have to think about any of those things. That's a hindrance to me being joyful right now. So we have to learn what is wholesome and what is unwholesome based upon the fact that when we have unwholesome thoughts, then we don't feel good. When we have wholesome thoughts, we allow ourselves to feel good. So that's the way that we would manipulate feelings. We would manipulate feelings by manipulating thoughts. How are we going to manipulate thoughts? Well, a way of saying it is, is that, hey, everybody's been talking themselves all these years. We've talked ourselves into feeling bad. Now it's time to talk ourselves into feeling good. So we've been talking ourselves into feeling bad with thoughts of the past, thoughts of the future, random restless thoughts, wandering around, trying to solve some unknown problem. 
So this is one kind of thinking, or the other kind of thinking is wholesome, is focused, clear, direct, wholesome, focused on the here now, focused on the Dhamma, focused on feeling good. Thoughts like, may all beings be happy. We can actually say that metta is a very wholesome thought to have. Thoughts of goodwill, thoughts of cheer. Unwholesome thoughts would be thoughts about that guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. My Dhamma is better than his Dhamma. What I teach is, is good and what he teaches is wrong. That's unwholesome. Thoughts of let us be friends. We can share with the Dhamma. Maybe he knows something I don't know. Maybe I know something he don't know. Let's be friends. Let's communicate. That's wholesome. So these are examples of wholesome, but you're going to figure that out for yourself. You're going to come to understand that which is painful. What is unwholesome leads to suffering or is dangerous. When you see the danger, you'll find an escape from it. That's what I mean by wholesome versus unwholesome. Does that give you a hint? Yeah, you seem that uh, when I feel this feeling like uh, worried or uh, if you the the mind would na- would naturally don't want those things, don't uh, like these things, then somehow just step away from them. Ah. So sati would be in order then to wake up to see right now the mind is dissatisfied with everything. Let's fix that up. I see that and out it goes. And now I'm going to start being intentionally satisfied with everything. Oh, what a nice cup that is. That looks really nice. It's still got ice in it. Wow. What a nice piece of cloth. Everything is wonderful. Start having thoughts of everything is okay, but we have to remember to do that. We have to remember to come out of those negative, unwholesome thoughts. Over and over and over again, because those thoughts are heavy duty ingrained in there. Um, This is one of the problems that people have about practicing meditation on their own one hour a day is is that that means that they're stuck in hindrances 23 hours a day and they have been stuck in hindrances for years and now they're practicing coming out of hindrances one hour a day. Which do you think is going to win? The hindrances, right? What we need is to practice more and more often throughout the day to keep coming back into a good state, to keep bringing ourselves into a wholesome place over and over and over and over again throughout the day. And the best place to start would be for doing it for about 10 minutes, three or four times a day, just to get yourself into a good state. Take a few deep breaths, relax and say, wow, I don't have to think about anything right now. Everything is good. Everything is fine. No work to do, no place to go. And I can just enjoy the moment. When you keep doing that over and over and over again, you'll get the idea, hey, I can do this. 
I can get myself into a state of relaxation. But you have to practice at it. This is, uh, I think I'm, it's not a difficult task for me, I think. I'm sorry, what? Uh, what do you deserve? I think it's not a very difficult task for me. It's a bit like, uh, oh, you can see, I mean, I can do it. It's, uh, it won't uh, be very difficult for me. You can do it. You can do it. I know you can do it. But you can't do it until you remember to do it. That's why it's such important sati is to wake up to remember to do this. Yeah. When, once you you realize that, uh, okay, okay, now I have this feeling of worry, then you can step out, step away from it very easily. I didn't hear that. What did you say again? Uh, when when you realize that, uh, for example, now you are worried or now you are angry, when you realize this, then you, it will be very easy for you to step away from this uh, this feeling. Well, the sooner you wake up to those bad feelings, like of anger, the easier they are to deal with. And so the idea then is to wake up quickly. Do not allow yourself to get really appetite and angry. Just one little motion, and that's enough to to say, I, I, all right, I remember. That, so we have to keep practicing to remember, to remember, to remember. The, and one of the ways of practicing that is with Anapanasati itself to remember that this is a long in-breath, to remember that this is a long out-breath, to remember that this long in-breath has good wholesome thoughts, to remember that this out-breath has good wholesome thoughts, to remember to breathe in well, to remember to breathe out well. This is how we practice Anapanasati, is to remember, keep sati coming over and over and over again to develop up, to wake up, to wake up, to wake up so that we can begin to wake up and guard these thoughts instead of letting them go without uh, monitoring each one of them. Uh, this seems to be what I'm missing in my daily life. I mean, it seems that I don't pay attention to how is my breath during daily life. Well, like I said, 10 minutes, four times a day. Sit down and take 10, 10 minutes, just 10 minutes is all I'm asking for, four times a day. That's still only 40 minutes. And practice okay. feeling good. Practice getting, throwing that stuff out and say, no, right now is my feeling good time. I'm going to feel really good. Allow yourself to feel as good as you want to feel. Okay, I'll try to rebuild this habit. Yes, set a schedule to help you remember. Anything that you can do to help you remember. Okay. Okay, that's what we need to do. We don't need hours and hours and hours, day and day and 
and day out in a retreat center. You, you need just to remember that you can practice this right now where you are. OK, I'll give it a try. OK, well, call me again. It's been so long since you've called. Yeah, uh, because this month I'm I'm like uh, in a because uh, I'm trying to get a job. So now I've got a job. So things are settled. Uh, so I, I called you. So I began okay. to. Yeah, well, I'm glad to see you again. OK, Kobe. I hope to see you soon. Thank you. See you. OK, bye bye. Bye bye.